Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 147 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question is a fun one. What will become of death when Jesus returns? So hello friends, happy Lord's Day to you as I do every Sunday of late. I'd love to invite you to join with our church, Valley Baptist Church in Salinas, Alabama, for a time of worship and word and prayer at 11 a.m. Pacific on Sunday. Now, you can join us live and participate, or you can actually come to the page later and find the video on uh, tape delay, so to speak. All you got to do is just go to Facebook and search for VBC, Victor Bravo Charlie Salinas, And if you like our page, you'll get notifications when we go live. Now, the message today dovetails kind of uh, well with the sermon topic for today. So uh, so I I think if you'll join with us on Sunday morning, uh, you'll find that what we're going to talk about on the podcast and what we talk about on Sunday morning really blends quite well together. For the Sunday message, we're talking about the city of God. It's one of the most fascinating things I've ever searched, researched in scripture. So last week, I noticed several of you joining us, including John Finch and some Alabama friends, and hope some of you can make it this week too. Our Bible readings for today include Numbers chapter 33, Psalm 78, Isaiah 25, and 1 John chapter 3. Now today's pod, as almost always on Sunday, will be fairly short, But our question is a very significant one. What happens to death when Jesus comes back? The thing is, the Bible tells us clearly that death is an enemy. Almost every one of us listening have faced the specter of death before, either as a scare in our own lives or as a loss of somebody that we dearly loved. Our church family has experienced more than one death this week in their close, immediate family, and there are many to grieve with right now. When we experience death, we agree with the Bible's characterization of death as an enemy, which we see in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-five through 26 which says, He must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Now, our focus passage today in Isaiah 25 gave Old Testament saints a hint that we now see realized in the resurrection of Jesus that death would be no more at some point. So let's read it and then come back and celebrate. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have accomplished wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. For you have turned the city into a pile of rocks, a fortified city into ruins. The fortress of barbarians is no longer a city. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will honor you. The cities of violent nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold for the poor person, a stronghold for the needy in his distress, a refuge from storms and a shade from heat. When the breath of the violent is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry land, you will subdue the uproar of barbarians. As the shade of a cloud cools the heat of the day, so he will silence the song of the violent. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, 
fine vintage wine. On this mountain he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. When he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. Amen. Hallelujah. On that day it will be said, Look, this is our God. We've waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. For the Lord's power will rest on this mountain, but Moab will be trampled in his place as straw is trampled in a dung pile. He will spread out his arms in the middle of it as a swimmer spreads out his arms to swim. His pride will be brought low along with the trickery of his hands. The high-walled fortress will be brought down, thrown to the ground, to the dust. What a wonderful, wonderful promise there that death will be swallowed up by God and he will wipe away all of our tears. Now, the beginning of the this promise, the beginning of the end of death, that is, happened on Resurrection Sunday almost 2,000 years ago. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, that's us humans, the children of Adam, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. But as we sit here now, we are still living under the fist and thumb of the enemy in death. However, as Isaiah tells us, the day is coming when human history ends with the feast of the Lamb and the ultimate destruction of death and the wiping of every tear from every eye by God. And that gets us to Revelation 21, which may actually be my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. So let's read a chunk of it in closing and exult in its truth. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So if you are in the pit today, metaphorically, for any reason whatsoever, if you are thirsty today, and not in the modern sense of thirsty, in the real sense of thirsty, you are desperate for a drop of living water. Allow me to encourage you to spend your day over and over today going back to Revelation 21. The whole chapter is just so good and fantastic. And focus on the beautiful end of history. No matter how bleak your life is right now, the one who promised you abundant life is coming back. And the end of all things, right before you step into eternity, 
is going to be beautiful and wonderful beyond compare. And it is going to be like that from then on. Death and sorrow and pain and grief will be no more. Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus. Numbers chapter 33 verse 1. Here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in their journey. This is their journey by stages. The Israelites set out from Ramses on the 15th day of the first month, the day after the Passover. They marched out defiantly in full view of all the Egyptians who were burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, for the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. The Israelites left Ramses and camped at Sukkoth. They left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. They left Etham, turned back to Piharath, to the east of Baal-Zephon, and camped near Migdal. They left Pi-Haharath and passed through the sea into the desert, and when they had traveled for three days in the desert of Etham, they camped at Marah. They left Marah and went to Elam. There there were were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there. They left Elam and camped by the Red Sea. They left the Red Sea and camped in the desert of Sin. They left the desert of Sin and camped at Dofka. They left Dofka and camped at Alush. They left Alush and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. They left Rephidim and camped in the desert of Sinai. They left the desert of Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hatava. They left Kibroth Hatava and camped at Hazaroth. They left Hazaroth and camped at Rithmah. They left Rithmah and camped at Ramon Perez. They left Ramon Perez and camped at Lipna. They left Lipna and camped at Rissa. They left Rissa and camped at Kehelahath. They left Kehelahath and camped at Mount Shefer. They left Mount Shefer and camped at Haradah. They left at Haradah and camped at Mechelath. They left Mechelath and camped at Tahath. They left Tahath and camped at Terah. They left Terah and camped at Mithkah. They left Mithkah and kept camped at Hashmona. They left Hashmona and camped at Mazaroth. They left Mazaroth and camped at Benejakan. They left Benejakan and camped at Hor Hagigdad. They left Hor Hagigdad and camped at Jat Batha. They left Jat Batha and camped at Abrona. They left Abrona and camped at Etzion Geber. They left Etzion Geber and camped at Kadesh in the desert of Zin. They left Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the border of Edom. At the Lord's command, Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor where he died on the first day of the fifth month of the fortieth year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. Aaron was a 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. The Canaanite king of Arad who lived in the Negev of Canaan, heard that the Israelites were coming. They left Mount Hor and camped at Zalmana. They left Zalmana and camped at Punan. They left Punan and camped at Oboth. They left Oboth and camped at Ai-Abarim on the border of Moab. They left Ai-Abarim and camped at Dibon-Gad. They left Dibon-Gad and camped at Almon-Diblothame. They left Alman de Blothame and camped in the mountains of Abirim near Nebo. They left the mountains of Abirim and camped on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. There on the plains of Moab they camped along the Jordan from Beth Jeshemoth to Abel Shittim. On the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, 
When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their carved images and their cast idols, and demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. Distribute the land by lot according to your clans. To a larger group give a larger inheritance, and to a smaller group a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. Distribute it according to your ancestral tribes. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you live, and then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. Psalm chapter 78 verses 1 through 37. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we've heard and known and that our ancestors have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might and the wondrous works He has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know they were to rise and tell their children, so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep His commands. Then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's command and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wondrous works he had shown them. He worked wonders in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, the territory of Zoan. He split the sea and brought them across. The water stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day and with a fiery light through the night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundance in the depths. He brought streams out of the stone and made water flow down like rivers, but they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Is God able to provide food in the wilderness? Look, he struck the rock and water gushed out. Torrents overflowed. But can he also provide bread or furnish meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and became furious. Then fire broke out against Jacob, and anger flared up against Israel, because they did not believe God or rely on his salvation. He gave a command to the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained manna for them to eat. He gave them grain from heaven. People ate the bread of angels. He sent them an abundant supply of food. He made the east wind blow in the skies and drove the south wind by his might. He rained meat on them like dust and winged birds like the sand of the seas. He made them fall in the camp all around the tents. The people ate and were completely satisfied, for he gave them what they craved before they had turned from what they craved. While the food was still in their mouths, God's anger flared up against them, and he killed some of their best men. He struck down Israel's fit young men. Despite all this, they kept sinning and did not believe his wondrous works. He made their days end in futility, their years in sudden disaster. When he killed some of them, the rest began to seek him. They repented and searched for God. They remembered that God was their rock the Most High God, their Redeemer. For they deceived him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere toward him. 
and they were unfaithful to his covenant. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is it didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin, because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Who does not, Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the Spirit he has given us. Amen. May we, dear friends, not merely love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. And may we today revel in the truth that a day is coming when Jesus returns and death is swallowed up in victory. Praise be his name. I look forward to that day. I know you do too. Good day to you and Godspeed.